Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, Eagle Nation. We've got a Thursday edition of Birds 365 coming your way with the Mac and Mac guys. I am Jody McDonald. He's my partner, John McMullen. Johnny Mac, back to work yesterday for you. Eagles did make a key player for the upcoming season available. We've talked enough about Zach Ertz and his situation. Another day has gone by. Zach Ertz still here. I'll say it tomorrow. I'll say it Monday, Tuesday. Until Zach Ertz is somewhere else, I will note the fact that Zach Ertz is still on the Eagle roster, even though he's not showing up for Eagle gatherings. He is still a Philadelphia Eagle until he's not. Uh, the guy who will get that many more balls thrown his way this upcoming year when he becomes an ex-Philadelphia Eagle, Zach Kurtz, that is. The guy who will benefit is Dallas Goddard, who the Eagles made available yesterday to all you guys who cover him on a day-in, day-out basis. No great surprise. Actually, pretty good thinking. The Eagles are pretty good at this whole media thing. Uh, since we're going to be moving on from Zach Kurtz, because Jody McDonald keeps hammering it on Birds 365. We got to do something here sooner or later. We might as well get the people used to and excited about the kind of season that Dallas Goddard is going to have for the Eagles. He talked a pretty good game yesterday, J Mac. Yeah, by the way, it is interesting because Zach Ertz is still here. And it, it, it's like the biggest open secret in the world. You know, he's not going to be on this team. And it's this weird dichotomy that. You know, you pick up the black and white aspect of the roster and you see 86 and he's there. But everybody, you know, is, you know, wink, wink. Dallas Goddard's the guy. He's going to be the, the tight end one. And and that was what sort of yesterday was. And, you know, I've seen Dallas on the field and you can tell. I mean, he he knows this is a big opportunity to him. He, he's eligible for an extension now. So I think the biggest part of that is like, do you bet on yourself if you're Dallas Goddard? I would. I would because I think he's going to have a big, big year uh, from a standpoint of just accumulating receptions, yarders. And let's be honest, even though it's not fair, the context of that means a lot as far as negotiations go. And I've heard people speculate that he could be ranked up there. You know, it's hard to say you're going to be the top paid tight end, but if you think about it from a quarterback perspective, I think the natural assumption is, oh, if you're the top paid guy at your position, you're the best at your position. Nobody's saying Dallas Goddard's going to be the number one player at his position. Contracts in this league are about timing and circumstance. And if you're the next guy, you could be the highest t- paid tight end in football if Dallas Goddard uh, has a big season. So, you know, it's always tough in the NFL. This is not baseball. This is not basketball. There are injuries, obviously, but it, it, it's a much bigger bet in football if you're going to so-called bet on yourself. The Eagles, look, they've made the decision. They've made the evaluation. This is the guy. This is our guy They want to get an extension done. They want to do it as early as possible. They want to do it as team-friendly as possible. 
And if Dallas Goddard bets on himself, he could make a lot of money. So it's going to be an interesting decision from his standpoint. Now, the Eagles as well, though. I mean, Jody, we've talked about it all this offseason. We're going to have Brad Spielberger on the first hour, one of the best money guys, I like to call him, uh, covering the NFL. They're up against it still from a salary cap standpoint. It's not like, oh, we can extend this guy, we can extend this guy. They still have an issue until next year. So that part of it's difficult as well. And we'll get Brad Spielberger to help us explain it. Here's my one caveat about Goddard betting on himself, the way you described it. And uh, I I would not be opposed if I was his agent. Again, we, we don't know the numbers. If we were flies on the wall in the offices when they're having these conversations and we knew what the numbers were, we could react to them. We could only speculate on them at this point. Who was the last tight end that hit free agency? Not got a contract extension, but hit free agency and reset the bar in the National Football League. That the tight end salary was going up because this guy hit the free agent market, got two or three teams interested, was able to create a bit of a bidding war that ran the number up. That the team said, all right, we have to have him. And they uh, gave in to the demands of the player. I, I don't remember that. I should off the top of my head for the last two, three, four, five years. The bigger contracts have been more about guys staying with their teams and doing the extension and getting bigger signers, signing bonuses and the like. So uh, I, that's the one thing that would worry me. You're right. No one knows what kind of season he's going to have. Uh, this is a new uh, offense with a new coordinator and a new head coach. And we d- won't know exactly what their system is until they put it into place and take it out onto the field and we can draw some conclusions from it. But he looks on paper like he's going to be a big part of the Eagles' offense in this upcoming season, which means, yeah, he's going to get paid. So the Eagles are going to come up with some pretty good coin to make sure that he stays here as an Eagle. But I'm not sure that if he doesn't get a contract extension done leading into the season, that he actually gets to free agency, that that guarantees him a payday just because that's never that hasn't happened at the tight end position over the last half a decade. Well, it happened twice in this offseason, Jody, and it happened on the same team. And it was interesting. It, it it happened to similar players, I would say, is what Dallas Scotter projects. You're right. If you look at the top players at this position, um, George Kittle would be my number one. Um, and he got an extension, obviously, with the 49ers, Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs as well. Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, right there. Those are two players – uh, the Patriots signed for, I don't know, $12.5 million a year. One of them got $30 million guaranteed. The other got $25 million guaranteed. And they're they're like good players. They're like Dallas Goddard. They're not Travis Kelsey. They're not uh, uh, tra- uh, uh, George, Kittle. George Kittle. Right. But they're really good players. And that's where I put Dallas Goddard, right in that second tier. And they make more money than everybody but. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey at that position. So the bottom line is when you're a good player, and by the way, I don't expect the Eagles to let Dallas Goddard get the free agency. I think, you know, worst case scenario, they'll have some money next year. They'll, they might even put the franchise tag on it because it's not a big expense from a tight end perspective compared to some other positions. But 
I don't think it gets to that point. I think after the season, if you had a big season, they work out a deal anyway. But yeah, it's happened, and it they're they're good players. And as I said, it's not a position where maybe it explodes at you when you see the headline when guys like Henry and Smith sign because there are other positions that obviously get paid more money. But for that particular position, I mean. There's two guys that the same team signed in the same year that are top five salary players at that position. I should probably know this off the top of my head. I don't, so I'm going to ask you. Um, you mentioned the franchise tag. What is the going rate for the franchise tag? Because you're I don't think the Eagles would not prefer to do that because that does clog a bit of the cap because everything is just in that particular year that you've got the guy under the tag what is the tag number for tight ends as of this? I know it goes up a little bit every single year. It might not actually. Yeah, it do went it. down because yeah. of the, the 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 issue this year. This year, I'm just looking it up right now. This year, it's uh, just under ten million dollars. So nine point four nine five million uh, was the franchise tag for the tight end. Now remember. The cap is going to go back up next year. So the franchise tag is directly uh, related to the cap. Top 10, it's a top five uh, or top 10 players at the position. Yeah, the average five. average of the top five. Yeah, average of the salary. So, um, you know, that impacts it. So it's going to come down a little bit like everything else in the pandemic. Then it's going to go up a little bit. But still, that position we talked about with the Atlanta Falcons. Some people have thrown that conspiracy out there, Jody, that, you know, essentially Kyle Pitts is an X receiver. You know, you got to pay Julio Jones more than Kyle Pitts because one's labeled a tight end, one's labeled a receiver, but they're essentially going to play the same position. Now, I think it's pie in the sky that as good as Kyle Pitts is, it's hard to imagine anybody putting up the kind of production Julio Jones has put up. So, but you, you, you add youth into the equation and everything like that, you can understand the Falcons thinking. So, um, yeah, I mean, tight end is a position that I think you can feel a little bit more comfortable using the franchise tag if you need it. Now, you know, people forget you might have somebody else you want to franchise tag at a more important position. That comes a lot of things play into it. But if I were Dallas Goddard, I'd bet on myself. Now that's easy for me to say, you know, but if you get hurt, if you tear your ACL, you know, everything is blown up in smoke. So it's a difficult decision to make. Right. You think his decision is more about staying healthy than it is. Yeah being a uh, top-flight production guy once the season gets underway, that uh, he's going to have the football thrown to him in this new Nick Sirianni offense. Yeah, no no question. And he looks like he's in the best shape of his life. He knows. He knows this is his opportunity. You know, people have already said, you know, Brad uh, it works for Pro Football Focus. They graded, I think, Dallas Goddard number five, I think, maybe. Uh, as one of the best tight ends in football, you know, people around the league really value Dallas Goddard as a well-rounded tight end. But, you know, with Zach Ertz here, who was not well-rounded and more of a receiver, not much of a blocker, that meant Dallas Goddard had to be the inline guy. Now he will get more opportunities to be flexed out and show off his athleticism. 
And that's what gets you paid. As good as people will wax poetic about blocking, that doesn't get you paid. Catching the football gets you paid. That's true. That's where the money goes. Uh, but when looking at the Eagle roster, if Dallas Goddard is going to be the guy <laughs> who is not going to be asked to be uh, the online tight end the way it was when Zach Ertz was uh, teamed with him when the Eagles were in, in 12 uh, matchups, who right now is the leading candidate to be the tight end two on this team? Could it be another non-inline tight end guy or is that going to help make the decision for this team? Uh, they still have time to be able to add another tight end. Everyone always brings up Richards Rogers' name. And, well, they should. Because, damn, yeah. if that guy didn't make some nice catches <clears throat> for them last year. But he has not been re-signed. He has not signed with another team. And they've got a bunch of pretty unknown guys on the depth chart right now behind Dallas Goddard. Uh, give me your thoughts on those guys, how you'd rank them. How do you think they would be used? How does, as we sit here today and know that there's got to be fluidity and flexibility in the question I'm asking you, how, how would you rank the Eagles tight ends on their roster right now? Well, unproven, all of them. Uncertainty is how it would grade them all. All developmental in, in essence. Maybe Jason Kroom has played a little bit, but... You know, it's interesting. You're you're a big Greg Ward guy, and in a lot of ways, I compare Richard Rogers to Greg Ward. You know, he's, he's no. How many catches does Richard Rogers have in his life? How many catches does Greg Ward have in his NFL career? No, what if you let my man? You jump down my throat. Okay. You let me get it out. He's just a really dependable player, um, but he's not a great athlete. So the Eagles are always looking to get better. Uh, that's where the comparison is. Uh, you know, pro football focus, and I bring it up for Brad, they graded Richard Rogers, Richard Rogers, Jody, as the second best tight end in football last year. That's how well he played. That's how well he He was better than Goddard. He was better than Ertz. He was better everybody that I think Kelsey was number one. Now, very limited snaps. Uh, you know, obviously, he wasn't playing a ton of snaps. And the more a player like that plays, the more he gets exposed. So I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's really the best, the second best tight end in football. I'm saying when he was out there, he played really, really well. And you see how the rest of the league sees him. There's no athleticism. There's no threat. And they say, eh, you know, if we need something down the line, we'll call Richard. And that's what I think the Eagles are. They're saying, let's see if we can get one of these young guys. And if they can just jump out at us and develop quickly and we get more athleticism at the position, great. If we don't, in August, he's still on the street. We're going to pick up the phone and say, hey, Richard, you want to play another year for the Philadelphia Eagles? And he's going to say yes. So I think that's the way they're going about it. Um, but as far as who could jump out, look, I mean, they have Tyree Jackson. We've talked about him a lot, the former Buffalo quarterback in college, trying to go the Logan Thomas route, who's turned into a a, a pretty darn good tight end uh, with the Washington football team, was a great quarterback at Virginia Tech. But guess what, Jody? It took him a number of years right. to make that transition. It wasn't like bang. So 
I think that's a long-term project. They got a, a, a Hakeem Butler, who was a wide receiver in college at Iowa State. I think that's a long-term project. If if you were to talk, tell me who's going to be the, the second tight end on this team, just from who they have, I would say Jack Stoll, who is an undrafted free agent from Nebraska. A lot of people had him graded as a draftable commodity. For whatever reason, didn't get drafted. But he fits because he's more of an inline tight end. Right. He's more of a blocker. And now you could have Goddard flexed out as the receiver, and you have a decent blocker. He would be the leader in the clubhouse, if you ask me right now. Right. That's why I asked the question the way I asked. I'm sorry for interrupting you. You know I just automatically come to the defense. I know. Greg Ward. Yeah. Because you're a Greg Ward hater. So that's why I, I, I am not a Greg Ward hater. Right. Oh, okay. That's, it's an I'm, a, I'm an honest Greg Ward assessor. I personally think I'm an honest Greg Ward assessor. and I think you're a Greg Ward lover. The rest of you are just missing the boat, but that's okay. Um, I agree with you that positionally will have a lot to do with how the Eagles look at, rank, and rosterize their tight ends. And if one shows to be a better inline tight end guy, he's going to improve his chances. Blocking is going to be key. They're going to put all their... Well, not all, but most of their tight end receiving eggs in Dallas Goddard's basket. So the next best receiving tight end doesn't mean that's the guy who's going to be the backup tight end or the second tight end on this roster. You're going to have to be able to block. That's going to be uh, a key aspect. Well, but if Akeem Butler, for instance, turns into Darren Waller, remember, Darren Waller's one of the best tight ends in this game, was a wide receiver in college at Georgia Tech. King-size wide receiver, essentially, is what he is. Um, and he turns into a difference maker. If Akeem Butler turns into that type of player, pie in the sky, it's not going to happen. But then you say, Dallas Goddard's one of the best bloggers. Then you just go the other route. So if one of these guys... Uh, do you do you really believe that's a possibility? No, I just said pie in the sky. Okay. I'm saying... But if you... <clears throat> what I'm trying to say is, if... If Hakeem Butler turns into Darren Waller, which I said is not going to happen, you do have the flexibility of saying we have one of the best five blocking tight ends in football already on the roster. So you you can move around. But yes, if you're gonna is that gonna happen? I wouldn't bet on it, Jody. Right. And Tyree Jackson, you'd say the same thing about him. If Shaco shots, he goes from quarterback to being a uh, tight end. Uh, who can get downfield and make plays catching the football, well, then, yes, you could move Goddard back inside, but I don't think that's going to happen. I would say there's a real good chance that he's on the Philadelphia Eagles this year. There's an even better chance he's on the practice squad. His chance of making the Eagles is 5%. If he's on the Eagles, it's about 98% that he's going to be on the practice squad because, as you rightfully mentioned, it's all about development. He's not going to see the field. If he sees the field during a game this year as a tight end, I would be shocked. But because he's as athletic as he is, and we've seen a bunch of players change positions and be able to become productive players like, oh, I don't know, Greg Ward on the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, then yes, I, I think you're the Eagles... Greg Ward. You're obsessed with Greg Ward. <laughs> the, the guy's their leading receiver. Caught what the does most that passes. Mean? 
And the most touchdown passes. I'm sorry. I'm not an overly analytical guy, but sometimes numbers just hit you upside the head and you cannot disregard them. Jody, when you don't have a 600-yard receiver for two years, you can disregard them. You could say being the best of the worst bunch is not the end game. You could say, hey, guess what? We need to get better. As the Eagles have said, as everyone who's come on this show, you don't have to believe me, you've asked. Numerous Eagles beat reporters, they've all told you the same thing. This team wants to get better. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get better. I I understand that, but the only new addition to the Eagles wide receiver room as of right now is Devonta Smith. Development. All the other individuals who are in that room were there last year and fell in behind Greg Ward when it came to numbers of catches and numbers of uh, touchdown receptions. That's all I'm saying. If they had wiped you know, it clean and brought yeah, in a whole new wide got, receiver got, room, I would say, yeah, we don't know what they're going to do. But it's you know, all Jody, those same guys. It's still I, Travis Fulgham. It's still Jalen Rager. It's still, who the hell am I forgetting? J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. All these guys were there last year. And Jody, Greg Ward outperformed Hey, I'm going to tell you to get the ring and make it official with Greg Ward. But secondly, I always use this comparison. You've heard me use it. 20-point scorer on a bad NBA team. He's not even a 20-point scorer on a bad NBA. He's a 15-point scorer on a bad NBA team. Well, then what does that make Jalen Rager, who couldn't match his numbers later? What does that make uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside? Well, These guys are still here fighting for that same job. If he's a 15-point scorer on a bad NBA team, those guys are nine-point scorers on a bad NBA team. And guess what? If J.J. J.J. is probably going to get cut this year unless he turns the corner. Now, Jalen Rager... That's unfair. There's injuries. There's there's other implications. If you're telling me as a football guy, Jody, we got a break. I'll, so I'll just say this because we got Brad Spielberger after the break. I'll, I'll just say this. If you're a football guy and you walk out there and see Jalen Rager versus Greg Ward, trust me. Trust me. You're going to try to develop Jalen Rager. Trust me on that one. I'm not saying development is a bad idea. I'm just saying accomplishment. What someone has already done has to be factored in. All right. Uh, yes, we do have our first guest uh, getting ready to join us. Jed Spielberg from, from Pro Football Focus is going to join us next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huckenfot. What's that? Huckenfot. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. 
catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here with you on Bird 365. We're going to expand the conversation a little bit more. Talk mostly Eagles with our next guest, but uh, he's an expert in typology across the league. And Julio Jones supposedly is going to, kind of like Zach Ertz. It, it, it's an inevitability. It's going to happen. Julio Jones is going to be relocated until he is, because it hasn't happened yet. Here to talk uh, NFL and money is uh, our buddy Brad Spielberger from ProPopoFocus.com. Brad. Johnny Mac and Johnny Mac, which, how are you doing so far today? Doing great this morning. How about you guys? Doing well, Brad. Uh, thrilled to have you back. One of the best money guys, as I call it, covering this league in, in the business, pro football focus over the cap. You did a great piece. Uh, I guess it was Memorial Day on, on June 1st and, and how it affects the league. Just give us a football for dummies sort of June 1st explanation when it comes to the salary cap. Yeah, you know, I think Eagles fans sh- should know that maybe better than other folks, but uh, just at a high level, um, you know, teams can essentially push some of that dead money, um, which is money created when you cut or trade a player, um, you know, prorated bonus money that is going to that guy on the cap, but is no longer on your roster. You can push some of that into 2022 um, now after June 1st. So you know, the Eagles, you know, released Alshon Jeffrey and Malik Jackson, you know, months ago in March, but they actually did not process those moves until yesterday. Um, and so now, similarly with Zach Ertz, you know, a trade impacts their salary cap differently now than it would have before June 1st um, in terms of, you know, how much dead money they would take on in 2021. And I think most football fans understand this, but for the casual football fans, I think it uh, necessitates a little explaining it isn't like you're really saving any money. 
if you wait till June 1st, it isn't like you aren't going to have to pay the piper for that money at some point. You're just pushing it off. So on a year in, year out basis, it comes down to what are you attempting to do? Are you attempting to give yourself more flexibility in the given year because you think you can be good, because you think you can make the playoffs, because you think you can make a run, which is always a good thing to do. But if you're paying for it a, a later year, a year where you actually may have a better chance to have a playoff run, you're actually handy, handicapping yourself a little bit. So it's not quite as easy a decision as we all make it out to be. Oh, give us more salary cap room now. Well, but how are you going to use that salary cap room and what kind of dividend is it actually going to pay? Yeah, that's hundred percent right. It doesn't disappear. Uh, you know, I like to say it's like a credit card, not a debit card. So you're you're eventually paying that that charge. Um, you know, I think of course this year obviously being the the loan exception, but generally the thought is, well, the cap's going to go up by X amount every year, so you know that'll kind of absorb that extra debt money, and, and we'll we'll be able to spend around it. Um, you know, and, and so, uh, and uh, otherwise for the Falcons with Julio Jones, they just need the room to like sign their rookie draft class and just, just get them <clears> up <throat> water. So that, that's, you know, an even more dire situation. So, uh, Brad on your piece, and I encourage everybody to look at it at profootballfocus.com. You not only explain some of the, the higher profile players, Eckers being one of them locally here in Philadelphia, but maybe Julio being the most notable besides the quarterbacks that could potentially be moved. I wanted to ask you from a larger perspective, because you've heard the cliche that you don't pay age in this league over 30 is kind of a bad word. You've done the the work on the, the general managers in this league, their history of moving players. How, how many people come off that template? especially for contenders and saying, you know what, we're close. We got to go for this. Who cares if somebody's 32? This is a Hall of Fame player. Or or does everybody in this sort of group think mentality, oh, we can't give up draft capital. We can't do this. We can't do that. How, how much do GMs in this league come off that template? Yeah, you know, I think it's really tough um, to stick to not adhering to that human element, um, you know, of roster construction. I mean, look, the Eagles are probably one of the clubs that are more inclined to, you know, stick to the numbers, trust their, you know, their analysis and, and take the kind of personal and emotional aspect out of it. But you look at them and, you know, you have Jason Kelsey, you have Fletcher Cox, you have a lot of these got Brandon Graham with his, his new deal. Like, and yes, no, none of these are breaking the bank now or, or some of these deals were signed earlier and now there's kind of the end of the deals. But like you said, they saw a window, they had a championship window. Um, but I also think those guys are probably leaders in the organization, um, you know, leaders in the locker room, bringing the young guys along and stuff like that. The intangibles that, um, you know, maybe analytics or whatever would say you shouldn't be paying big money for that. But it's an unavoidable and necessary component to building a, a winning culture and, and a winning chemistry on a team. So I think every team definitely falls for, like you said, they might tell themselves they shouldn't or they won't. Um, but then when that guy comes up for new money, they just find it impossible to do. Um, I do think Ertz is kind of in a pinch where those other guys maybe came up for new money when they were still kind of in that window and, and Wentz was still maybe playing well and they thought they could kind of run it back again like 2017. Now I think they've accepted that they're rebuilding. Um, obviously, you know, have a bunch of draft capital going forward and they're kind of going to overhaul this roster. And so now he's a guy where they, they cannot justify it, even if he is one of the most you know well-liked guys they have in that building. 
Brad, when John and I started the show uh, more than two months ago now, um, certainly we were in the midst of free agency in the National Football League, and we talked about not only individual players, but positionally things looked like the Eagles needed to do, things they needed to address. And I kept harping on pass rush, that I thought they needed another edge rusher, and another week went by, and another week went by, another week went by, and they can, they never added a pass rusher. And then all of a sudden, they signed Ryan Kerrigan of the Redskins, who was a guy I had been talking about for the better part of a month, and said, hey, I think this is a nice signing. I know he doesn't fit the uh, profile of the type of player the Eagles would be looking at if they're in a transitional year. But I still think he's got something left in the tank. And then we got the details of his deal. And they got him what I thought that he had a specific number he was targeting. That's why he hung around in free agency for almost two months. The Eagles got him for what seems to be a very reasonable number for this upcoming season. Give us your take on Ryan Kerrigan, what his eventual cost was, and if you think he does have something left in the tank to help the Eagles pressure the quarterback this year. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think the thing with Kerrigan is, I mean, just incredibly durable and consistent for you know the better part of a decade in Washington. Um, I want to say he didn't miss a game for you know his entire career there until until this last season. Um, you know, where he missed some time both by, you know, injury and also just by, you know, better better players than Chase Young and Montez Sweat just kind of pushing him down the, you know, the depth chart. And I think that's the key with him now is that, you know, he can't play 800, 900 snaps in a, in a season anymore. Or if he does, he's not going to be highly productive. But we saw even last year, you know, he played 300, 400. And in those snaps, he's still getting after <laughs> the quarterback at a high pressure rate, um, you know, just wreaking havoc when he does get in the game. And so I think, it should probably be more of the same. I don't think you want him starting necessarily or playing, you know, significant snaps unless I guess he has to if, you know, Josh Sweat or, or Derek Barnett get hurt again, um, which, you know, isn't isn't outside of the realm of possibilities. So I agree with you, though. I think it was a good value. I, I think it's also great whenever you can kind of poach a, you know, longtime rival, you know, division rival player. Um, but I do. I think he's going to help. I, I think also, you know, this, this defensive line has pieces there where, you know, people will pay attention to Graham or pay attention to Fletcher Cox and maybe Kerrigan can kind of get free um, just like, you you know, he did on, on a loaded defensive line in Washington. So I think it was a great signing. Like you said, it kind of waited. It, it took so long into free agency. You wondered if he was holding out for something. And it, it looks like they got him for a night, not a bargain, but a, but a very good deal. Brad, I want to circle back to Zachers because you mentioned something about you can't justify paying him. He's going to be 31 in in season this year. So He's past that demarcation line. But I want to turn you towards the other tight end, Dallas Goddard, who was eligible for an extension. I think people are going to be shocked if he bets on himself how much money he is going to get. Um, and I think the Eagles would like to act quickly and get as team-friendly a deal as possible. Now, they still have cap issues. So, you know, they have to create space and they'll get some money whenever they do something with Zach. And there's some other mechanisms and values, so they can probably get something done. But if Dallas Goddard has a year people expect, could he become the highest paid tight end in football? Uh, without a doubt. I, I think folks uh, – I actually tweeted about this yesterday. I, I think it's easy to forget um, you know, how thin and how scarce tight end still is in the National Football League. I mean – Yes, we had like a Kyle Pitts this year go, you know, top five, which is crazy. We've had, you know, TJ Hawkinson. So I think we're seeing some big names start to go early and it's becoming more of a kind of prominent position. But you still look, if you look at the last two seasons, 
which, you know, tight end is a slow developing position. So we're looking at uh, Goddard's second and third year in the league. He's top third in the NFL in, in receptions. He's top third among all tight ends in, in yards <laughs> per route run. He's, I want to say he was eighth in um, like receptions per receiving snap. So when he's not blocking, when he is running a route, you know, he's top quarter of the NFL among all tight ends in terms of getting the ball thrown to him. And that's with Ertz who is like top 10 in all-time tight end receptions, you know, for a career, you know, on the roster with him. So if, if Ertz is gone and you have, you know, a rookie Devonta Smith and then Jalen Rager who's still coming along, I mean, Goddard, for all we know, could get 100 targets this year. And, yes, I think it is not crazy to think he would then surpass George Kittle's $15 million per year if he has a really good 2021 season, um, which is why I think you try to lock him in now, as you said. And I still think you're paying him – you know, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith got $12.5 million per year in free agency. He's better than both of those players. He's already done more statistically than both of those players. Um, yes, free agency, you're going to get paid more than a, in an early extension. But I still think if I'm his agent, I would say, you know, $13 million per year is my absolute floor. Um, and if I'm the Eagles, I, I pay him $14 million per year, you know, below Kelsey and Kittle, and I'm still happy. That's a good payday for Dallas Goddard. I'm, I'm hoping he's watching right now because I think <laughs> you just put a smile on his face. I right, let's talk about that other tight end of the Eagles who's still here, even though we all continue to acknowledge he probably won't be for that much longer. But as long as he is, the Eagles have to find a way to maneuver with uh, Zach Ertz. I've continued to say that I don't think there's a team out there in the NFL that will trade whatever commodity he is. At best, it's going to be a day three pick. If it's a conditional pick, that seven could become a six, six could become a five. Best case scenario, I think a five could become a four. So be it. I don't know that there's a team that's going to say, okay, give us Zach Ertz with his contract intact and we'll take him and we'll fit him into our cap. I just don't see that happening. I think whatever deal the Eagles are going to have to make, if it's going to be a deal rather than cut him, Zach is going to have to comply and renegotiate with whatever team he's going to go to next. Do you agree or disagree with my stance that there isn't a team that will just take him as is with the contract in place? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So the article you know, up on, on PFF.com, um, I have the Eagles still only getting a fifth-round pick, and that's after converting $3 million of his $8.5 million base salary into a bonus before they sent him off. Um, so, you know, of course, Philly does not want to take on more money. Um, so maybe they might even estimate, okay, we'd rather just cut them than get a fifth and eat $3 million more more dollars. I think they'd probably take the fifth. Basically, you know, in their mind, it's, all right, we're paying $3 million for a fifth-round pick. Um, we've kind of seen stuff like that with, you know, a keep to leave trade. It was kind of a salary dump for a, for a fifth or a fourth for about $5 million, so kind of in that same range. So I think they would go ahead and make that move, but I agree with you 100%. I don't think anyone is trying to pay him in the final year of a contract eight and a half million dollar salary um you know for a 31 year old tight end which at that position is is very old um yeah no i, I agree with you so brad it kind of put on your gm captain and put yourself in howie roseman's position try to explain what he's doing is this a game of chicken is this a maybe somebody gets hurt on a contender maybe a, a sam bradford type situation not at, as a high profile a position, obviously, but I know eyebrows were raised uh, when the Bills, who need a tight end, uh, restructured Stephon Diggs. People in Philadelphia said, "Oh, maybe, maybe the Bills will come after Zach Ertz." 
what is Howie Roseman doing if the end game is just release? Yeah, you know, I think it's twofold. Um, you know, I think we saw early this offseason with the you know the whole Wentz saga that and granted, we don't know what what was true that was reported, but you know, when it first came out that he wanted two first round picks, I think everyone knew like that's that's not really a realistic package. Um, but you might as well set the price there, kind of anchor it to that value, um, and then hope that someone just gets desperate. You know, maybe the Bears or the Colts or you know other teams in the mix there. You know, gets desperate and just comes over the top and just gets something done. Um, you know, they obviously did pretty well. You know, that that conditional second that could become a first. Um, so maybe he's trying to get creative in another trade like that. You know, you mentioned the conditional component to an Earth's trade. I think that's a smart way to look at it as well. Um, and then secondly, like you said, I do think you say, hey, look, maybe there's a camp injury. Um, you know, a guy goes down and like we just discussed, I mean, tight end is so thin that, um, you know, maybe maybe they say, OK, well, we need this guy now. We, we have a huge hole of this position that we usually rely on. Um, I think I guess lastly as well. I, I do know that some teams that maybe Ertz wouldn't be interested in going to, um, at least last year. I don't know about now, um, but you know, I know one in particular down in down in Florida, um, in, in Jacksonville, was interested in Zach Ertz. And I think I don't know this at all for a fact, but I think he kind of would pull a Gronkowski with the Detroit Lions, where he basically says, "I'm not going to show up if you make that trade." So you know, if you trade me to Jacksonville, just let them know I'm retiring. Um, so I think that might be complicating things a bit too. That he's kind of holding that you know tiny piece of leverage he has as well. Well, Jacksonville, he doesn't want to compete with Tim Tebow. I can't really <laughs> say I would blame him if he didn't want to go to Jacksonville. Um, you threw the name out there, so let me ask you about him. I was going to ask John about him later. We can get to him now. There's a lot of optimistic conversation. Not surprising, but it is coming out about Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. We sat here last year and watched him play every single game, every single snap. I was a huge Carson Wentz fan and fought off his detractors for the first several weeks of the season. But as the year went on and more games were played, I had to admit, damn, this guy stinks right now. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure. We all need to give our best guess opinion on what he's going to do with the Colts. I need yours. They are rightfully being very optimistic now. Going to his old coach's uh, new spot in Indianapolis. What kind of season do you think Carson Wentz is going to have? Yeah, you know, I think the thing with Wentz was that early in his career, you know, there's kind of two different types of quarterbacks, and, and there's a class above and a, kind of a second tier. Where the first tier, you say, this guy can win in spite of the conditions around him. He can carry this roster even if things aren't perfect. And now I think you kind of look at it and say, hey, look, well, maybe he just had the best offensive line in football for a couple of years. And yes, the Eagles receivers weren't incredible, but they had Alshon and they had Zach Ertz and they had some, you know, fine complimentary pieces. So I think any sort of like optimism in Indy is saying, okay, the offensive line is going to stay healthy and is going to be dominant as they've been at times. And, you know, you know, Michael Pittman's going to take another step and become a, a number one wide receiver in Indianapolis. T.Y. Hilton's going to be healthy and be back to the old T.Y. Hilton. Like it's not even so much projecting Wentz. It's more just saying his conditions will get back to being perfect. And he's capable of operating an NFL offense, um, you know, and, and just kind of, you know, not game. He's not a game manager, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? He's not like carrying a team on his shoulders because um, I agree. I don't think there's any reason to think that he is that type of guy right now. Um, I think the one thing I guess you could say is maybe it was more mental than physical. Um, you know, maybe he just was dealing with all the pressure of, you know, Foles coming in after him. And so he had to deal with that and then didn't like the Hurts pick and then had issues with the, with the front office or issues with the coaching staff. Um, and so now he's okay. He has Frank Reich. He has a fresh slate. I would say the fans in Indianapolis compared to the fans in Philadelphia are probably much more forgiving 
Um, and, and there's probably not as much pressure there. Mm. Um, you know, and, and the list goes on. But I think if you think he's going to just have an elite season again, like 2017, 2018, that you're just you're just wishful thinking. Brad, I want to take you around the league using your piece from Pro Football Focus. And one is obvious superstar, Aaron Rodgers. Another, maybe the most, I, I call him the biggest superstar nobody knows about, and that's Daniil Hunter, uh, the edge rusher in Minnesota. Um, Off-season work has varied uh, in different cities, but both the Packers and Vikings still have many camps on the books Uh I, I believe if those two players don't show up for minicamp, does that say, okay, they're going to get moved? Is that, is that the breaking point? I think that's when things start. That's kind of when the clock starts. Um, you know, that's when the fines get serious. Um, you know, where you're losing like $93,000 yeah. a day for those guys. Um, you know, when you're missing mandatory camp, um, so, yeah, I think that's when you basically say, okay, are we going to pay this guy? Are we going to extend this player? I think that applies to both. They both have three years left in their deals, but both want new money. And I think, in my opinion, both you know deserve it. Um, so I think, yeah, that's where you kind of realize, okay, like this guy is serious. Um, you know, he wasn't just negotiating via the media and just kind of, you know, having, airing his grievances. You know, he really is upset with his position. Um, I just don't see a scenario where Aaron Rodgers gets traded. Um, I, I think honestly, there's a higher likelihood that the Packers call his bluff and he retires and, and pulls a Brett Favre and just does not play um, than that he gets traded. I really do believe that. I think they're a proud organization. I think they are an organization that will say we will never let a player hold us hostage. Um, you know, we don't let the players kind of run our club type of thing. Um, as for Hunter, you know, I think they want to resolve that. I mean, the defense last year was the worst in Mike Zimmer's career by an order of magnitudes, um, and particularly the pass rush was non-existent. Um, and he's obviously, like you said, a very, very good player. Um, it's tricky there, though, because he's coming off a season-ending neck injury, you know, which is kind of a scary, you know, waters to navigate. But I think they could find a way where they say, all right, we're not going to give you an extension right now, but we'll move a bunch of money from 2022 up to 2021, or we'll guarantee a bunch more money, and then we'll, we'll revisit an extension, you know, after the season. He's still young. He's only 27 years old. So there's some, something's got to happen. Something's got to give. I don't expect either guy to show up until something does happen. Um, but with Hunter, I mean, look, they traded Stephon Diggs. He had three years left on his deal. Um, he was a star player or, you know, a very good player. Um, so they, they've, they've gone down this hole before. I guess the Packers have too. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think both situations are worth monitoring. Um, like you said, what, when camp starts, you know, in a couple of weeks. Let me ask you the same type of question, same scenario type question about Julio Jones. Um, there wasn't, there's less vitriol between he and the organization than in the other uh, two that we just touched on um, when he went on national TV and he said, I'm out of there. I think that kind of raised some red flags. But uh, during the offseason, there was some good speculation about him being traded, but not because Julio was demanding it or that there was a issue between the coaching staff and the player. It was just kind of a more cap-related thing than anything else and a direction of the team-related thing. Um, how much is the non-animosity uh, open up the possibility of Julio Jones and uh, the Falcons having to say that right now it's best that we stay the course and you stay here, Julio. And Julio says, all right, I got one more year. I'm not going to uh, make waves and not show up. 
Yeah, you know, I think that comment on, on TV on, uh, on with Shannon Sharp was not a breaking point, but it definitely was a bit of a bowling point. Uh, I mean, look, Julio's entering the first year of that massive extension he signed. Uh, three years, sixty-six million, with sixty-four of that fully guaranteed at signing. It's like it's a it's a landmark contract. It's one of the most important, you know, for a non-quarterback, you know, contract signed in the history of football. And he hasn't even put it down on on one of the new years of that deal. Um, you know, he's a thirty-plus-year-old wide receiver. But I think that comment is an issue because it kills their leverage, right? I mean, it, it says, okay, well now everyone knows <laughs> that you're, you're out. You want to be out. Um, you know, I think it's kind of you're past the point of no return when you ask for a trade and the team says, yes, we'll honor that and we'll find a destination for you. Um, to, for a team to say, actually, you know what, never mind. Like, we, we think it's better if you stay. Um, it's tough. I think it's really tough to navigate. And I think the only way that happens is if, you know, they, they, they there's some sort of other resolution, um, whether it be monetary or something else. Um, I do think it's possible, um, but I still really do expect the trade to happen there in the next you know month. All right, last one for me, Brad. I want to go circle all the way back to my first question because you mentioned Stephon Diggs. That worked out pretty well for the Bills. I don't know, 1,500 receiving yards, whatever. I go back to Khalil Mack and everybody looking at that trade and saying, wow, look at look at what they gave up. Well, the Bears have had quarterback issues, but Khalil Mack's been pretty darn good for Chicago and that defense. When you have proven players, when you have a Julio Jones, as, as I mentioned before, first ballot Hall of Famer, age we understand, and you look at draft picks and you look at the hit rate. Now, I understand young contracts, cost effective. Is this league undervalue veteran proven players? I think it's a fair question. Um, you know, I think the Rams uh, have kind of suggested they feel that way. Um, you know, I think it depends on the context of the roster a bit or where your club is at. So if you are the Rams and, and basically your, your worst case scenario is going eight and eight, um, you know, with, with kind of Sean McVay and that, and that roster there. So yeah, your pick is going to be like 18th at, you know, at, at worst case scenario. I think it's more arguable. Sure. Um, you know, I think if you're even a team like Miami, you know, giving up a first round pick to go back up to six to take Jalen Waddle. I mean, if Tua Tagovailoa stinks this year, they could give be giving you know um, you know a nice pick back to the Eagles. Um, so I, I think that kind of comes into it a lot. Um, and I would just say, secondly, like it also depends where your roster is at for the acquiring team as well. So you know, if the Rams are going to trade for Julio Jones with whatever picks they have left, like it's more justifiable than if you know, in my opinion, like I don't know, the, the Titans. I guess kind of makes sense that they have a good team, but they lost so much this offseason. Um, you know, and it could backfire in a major way. So I see what you're saying for sure. You know, I think t some teams do feel that way. Like we kind of overvalue the potential that a pick could turn into a great, you know, rookie contract player. Obviously with the Diggs trade, I mean, Justin Jefferson is already one of the best receivers in the NFL and he now costs, you know, a fraction of what, of what Stephon Diggs costs. So um, that's obviously, you know, a great hypothetical um, scenario. But yeah, I, I think it really does depend on kind of the, the status of your of your club um, and kind of if there's a, you know, a quote unquote window and stuff like that. Same type question, bringing it back to Philadelphia for a second, which by the way, I don't think you have to sweat at all. The Rams going eight and eight or anyone else going eight and eight. Cause we're going to play yeah. 17 games this year. <laughs> Nobody's eight going nine. eight and eight. You yeah. got to either be nine and eight or eight and nine. So everybody's worried about that. that. <laughs> we're all going to have to get used yeah. to that. We've all been saying eight and eight forever and that's no longer a possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I digress. 
the question I want to ask you is about the cornerback position. A lot of Philadelphia Eagle conversation all up. Need to upgrade cornerback. When are they going to get another cornerback? They got it. You can't have Avante Maddox as your cornerback, too, and play him outside. He's got to be in the slot. Yet the Eagles have not signed another cornerback. And there are some veteran guys, pretty well-known names, that are still sitting out there. We're all speculating the reason why they haven't signed is they still have a value, and the teams and the leagues still believe the value is less than that. Your perspective, where is the value at for the free agent corners that are still on the market? Are they going to have to come off that number? Are teams unrealistically trying to hold it down? No, it's a weird offseason with the cap uh, being affected by the pandemic and the like. Uh, what What is the cornerback market for those that are still out there? How's it going to play out over the next month? Yeah, I would lean towards thinking the, the players may have a, a slightly inflated value or perception of their value. Um, just just because, like you said, the nature of the offseason. Um, you know, if you want to go down the list, like I think, you know, Richard Sherman, you know, I had him projected to get kind of a, yes, he was injured last year, but still get kind of a, you know, one year, like 12 plus million dollar deal. Um, you know, in 2019, he was, he was PFF's highest graded corner in the NFL. We know he's capable of that play still if healthy, but of course the if healthy is a pretty large if. Um, you know, they got Steven Nelson, you know, in Pittsburgh or from Pittsburgh. Um, that's probably, I think, was probably, you know, a, a separation between what he thinks he should get um, versus what a team is willing to pay right now. You know, I think he's probably worth a good, you know, like a good contract. He's a good player. But at this stage of the offseason in June, not a lot of teams even have the money. Um, you know, they've mostly spent their cash budgets and, you know, they probably feel that corner isn't as pressing of a need as they may have felt, you know, in March or April. Um, so for him, I would say like if the team offers like a one year, six, seven million, you know, maybe, maybe even that's a, a touch rich. Um, you know, that's where I see that going. Um, you know, Bashad Breeland, another guy where he's been on it, you know, the chiefs, you know, he's been the, probably the best corner on the chiefs for a couple of years now, but he was there for a one year, $2 million deal. And then a one year, two and a half million dollar deal. So I think he's probably looking for a payday. Um, and I just don't know if he's going to get it. You know, I think teams think that he can kind of be schemed up. Um, he's a good player. He plays a lot of press man can kind of can be on an island at times, but you know, I guess they think that defensive front for Kansas city was, you know, more the hero there than, than the back seven uh, or, or, you know, the secondary. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of a, a separation of, of the value there. And I think the players probably w- will need to come down ultimately to get something done. Brad, we love talking football with you and football and money because those two things have been married together in a national football league at this stage of the season. It's a very important marriage that you try and come up with. Uh, We appreciate you hopping on board with us. You know, we'll be uh, buzzing you again as the offseason plays on. Thanks for jumping in with us. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, Brad. That is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus here with us on Birds 365. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We'll come back. Another guest yet to come next hour. And I got some big news for you, Jody. Big news after the break. After the break. Oh, John McMahon teasing our life away, looking for a sunny day. Uh, Triple Mac attack. Tim McManus going to join us next hour. But come back. Johnny Mac breaking news here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. 
Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. It's the Mac and Mac guys hanging with you right here on Birds 365 Thursday edition the triple Mac attack next hour when Tim McManus, Eagles reporter for ESPN, hops aboard with John and myself. All right, before we went to break, Johnny Mac, you teased <laughs> Eagle Nation by saying, have yeah, I got well, big Eagles news for you? might have got too excited. The USFL is back, Jody. It's Excuse coming me? back. What? The USFL is coming back. I didn't know it had gone away. It had come and gone so many times over the years. I'll be honest, I've lost track. Now whether... you're talking about you're talking I'm talking about the original USFL, the New Jersey Generals, Herschel Walker, you know, Steve Young. Is, that does, USFL... Don, does Donald Trump own a team? No, not oh. yet. Well, who knows? Well, then I don't care. If Trump doesn't own a team, what is the USFL? Yeah, the guy who owns the Spring League is, is teaming up with Fox. It's gonna be on Fox. The USFL returning in the spring of 2022 with at least eight teams. They're going to try to get the original uh, inter- 
intellectual property. Uh, so you're, they're going to try to get all those names uh, that were, you know, some of them iconic at this point. Um, and, and Fox is going to be a partner. You know, it's interesting because they were really happy with the second incarnation of the XFL. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and that skewed that. But it's interesting because Dwayne Johnson bought the XFL um, along with some partners and his ex-wife. So they're try trying to restart. The USFL is trying to restart. We're back in this spring football that everybody thinks is going to be successful. Guess what? It's not football. It's the NFL that people want. Uh, I would tend to agree. And, you know, I bust your chops every once in a while for what seemed to be uh, mincing of words. USFL and iconic. I don't know that I would ever put those two words together. Oh, I would. I would. You ever read uh, Perlman's whoa, 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 book? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't you just tell me that people just love the NFL? The USFL yeah, but, has never been the NFL, so how can they be iconic? Because the, the, US, the original USFL, not this one, the original USFL had some big-time players. I mean, big-time players. Uh, Jim Kelly, Reggie White started in the USFL uh, with the Memphis Showboats. You know, everybody knows the team, the New Jersey Generals, because of the players. They were here in Philadelphia. I mean, they were the best team, the Philadelphia Stars, who became the the, the Baltimore Stars. Uh, they had, you know, the Calvin Bryants of the world, who people don't remember. They had, you know, Anthony Carter. You remember Anthony Carter on the Michigan? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And whatever the hell they were, uh, Michigan Panthers, I think they were. Panthers, yes, correct. He, he played, uh, obviously, at the University of Michigan. Um, Keith Millard started in the USFL. Hall of Famers started in the USFL. That was a big difference. It wasn't, you know, you see the AAF and uh, the XFL and, you know, he hate me, Rod Smart. No, not those guys. Hall of Famers, Reggie White, Gary Zimmerman started in the USFL. Right. Jim Kelly. And, and they all became Hall of Famers because they went to the National Football League. They may have gotten, therefore, dipped their toe in but there was to an, the football you get my pool that on, was Cody. the USFL. You're but not, they became Hall of Famers you because got my point. they did they what they did in the players. National Football League. It wasn't like Brad Johnson developing in the World League. These were great players. The UFL was stealing away from the NFL at the time. Stealing away. These guys would have been, and some of them were, first-round picks in the NFL and decided to go to the USFL because they paid them more money. It was a different environment, different league. It was sort of like the ABA, the NBA is the better uh, comparison where there were a lot of great players 
in the ABA that could have played in the NBA. And, and then obviously the ABA, a uh, couple teams merged and right. you know, the history there, uh, there were great players and you're acting like they're Brad Johnson in the world league developing in a minor league. No, Reggie white, if he would have stepped into the NFL day one would have been the best defensive end in the NFL. Maybe not day one, but day two. Well, two things. Number one, unlike the ABA, the USFL never got its toehold into the National Football League. The ABA, you can use the word iconic because they eventually became part of the NBA. Dr. Well, J. Julius Irving was an iconic guy playing for the New Jersey slash Long Island uh, slash New York Nets because he eventually came to the NBA and the team came to the NBA. That never happened with the USFL. And my only problem is with the use of the word iconic. I don't think you can be iconic if you disappear. Well, Some I of the players eventually Look, moved on to the National Football League. Iconic none of the teams ever did. And I'm sorry. I think of Reggie White as a Philadelphia Eagle. I don't care where he started in the USFL. If you're going to mention Reggie White, how do you think of Reggie White? Sorry, Green Bay Packer fans. I think of him as a Philadelphia Eagle. So iconic as a USFL individual? No. Jody, if, now you knew. We're, talk, we're going back to the 80s, right? You knew Michigan Panthers. You certainly know Memphis Showboats, Houston Gamblers, New Jersey General. I know you know Philadelphia Stars. I know you know that. So – you're Mr. Semantic. You're always holding me to the words I say Correct. completely without any context. So what does iconic mean? What does iconic mean? It means when it comes to a brand name, it means widely recognized and well-established. You know those names. How many years later? 85, 95, 20, 35 years later, you still know. Memphis Showboat. You even knew the Michigan Panthers. You proved my point. I did know them, but I, widely. You used the. You just read me the definition. Widely. Well, I you don't claim so. it isn't. Tony McDonald, who's been doing sports talk for thirty-two years, recognizes the Memphis Showboats. Widely known by well, football fans. I don't look, think so. The USFL is pretty much long forgotten. Some of the individuals who started their career in the USFL and then established themselves as star players. You're trying to get out of it, Joey. Yes. yes, that transpired, but that doesn't make the USFL iconic. It makes now, it a forgotten league. Now, it's not a forgotten league. Perlman just wrote a book about it a couple of years ago. It's not, a, everybody talks about Donald. What's the first thing you said? Is Donald Trump going to earn a team? Everybody remembers the USFL, everybody in sports. Now, we've been doing this show for about two months now. So for the first time, for the first time, I'm going to rip millennials. It's amazing we haven't got here. Now, yes, if you're talking about this generation, they don't remember the USFL. They don't remember the Rams were in St. Louis. They don't remember the Raiders were in Oakland or Los Angeles or vice versa. They don't remember anything. So it depends on your definition. Everybody from your generation, my generation, everybody knows the USFL if you like sports. Everybody. 
Yeah, I disagree. And I think Donald Trump makes the argument for me. When Donald Trump, and I'm, please don't get mad at me, don't tweet me, don't text me, uh, don't get mad. When Donald will. Trump passes, how many paragraphs are you going to have to oh, go down on, Jody. Open before oh. you get to former owner of the New Jersey Generals? Are you Jody. kidding me? Jody, you've said a lot of goofy things. That might be on the top of the list. This is the former president of the United States of America. Exactly. And you think his obituary is going to be talking about the new... It's not going to be talking about his business dealerships either. It's not going to be talking about Trump Plaza until paragraph 16. Then you got all the hate and all the people that can't stand him. To use that as a definite... You're above that, Jody. You're above I'm that. I'm just stating my opinion. And yeah, fact, it's the president of the United States. Of course, they're right. not going to remember he owned the New Jersey General because he surpassed that. Guess what? If he owned the New Jersey Generals and he just was an owner of a sports team, they would lead with it. What does that course. make sense? But what the, d d Just do me a, a quick... If uh, James check. Dolan becomes what? president of the United States... They're not talking about the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. What other owner do you remember? Do you think that the start of his obit will be owned an NFL, uh, a USFL franchise? Put Trump aside. Yes, because I brought any Trump. owner who becomes president of the United States. If Jeffrey Lurie becomes president of the United States of America, they're not talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and his obit. If he doesn't. They're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. That's unfair. That's all I'm saying. You're talking about somebody different who was the president. Anybody, as I said, who are the most like George Steinbrenner? George Steinbrenner became the president. They wouldn't be talking about the Yankees, Jody. I, I certainly understand that. I'm just saying that, that he's the one owner that John Q. Public, the millennials, as you described, part of our audience, uh, will remember. Trump well, is the guy. Owners, what other NF, the what other USFL owner is any going to be? You're going to pick 100 people out and, and 50 of them are going to know who the individual you're talking well, about. I'm the only one is Trump. You, you, you could bring owners in the NFL unless you're a hardcore sports fan. I bet you the average NFL fan can name 10 owners. They don't know the owners. What is that? They know the teams. All right. Well, then, then let's go back to the players. How many... USFL players are you going to remember that didn't I'm make just, their name in the National Football League afterwards? Oh, come on. But the, the league didn't last that long. Uh, I, yeah, come on. Thank I think you you're, very much. That's the point I'm trying to make. I don't think you can be iconic it. if you don't last that long. Whatever. Well, if you're going to hold me, go bring up the definition of the word iconic and hold yourself to the same semantics you want to hold me. Everybody remembers the names. You remember the names. That's what I'm talking about. And you're saying Jim Kelly and Reggie White and Anthony Carter. I just gave you a litany of Herschel Walker. I gave you a litany of names, even locally. People still remember Chuck Fusina, the quarterback from Penn State, who was the quarterback of the Philadelphia Stars and the Baltimore Stars, and they won a championship. Everybody remembers Jim Mora was the coach of the Philadelphia Stars before he went to the U.S., before he went to the NFL. 
it became playoffs. What playoffs? Everybody in Philadelphia remembers the Stars. Get Glenn Mack now, your own partner. He'll remember the Stars. Everybody remembers that league. Everybody who likes sports. Because I got to be clear, everybody who likes sports remembers the USFL. From that generation. I got to be very clear. Uh, I I understand different generations, different points of view, but just a couple of the names you threw out there. Uh, Jim Mora, 90% of just average sports fans will remember Jim Mora because he coached the Saints, not because he coached uh, the Stars. And that would, I, it, 90% across the country, here in Philadelphia, it might only be 80. But 80% will more remember playoffs, playoffs, than the fact that he coached the Stars. I just don't think people remember the USFL because of the USFL. They remember the USFL because what players did after they left the defunct USFL and established themselves and accomplished what they did in the National Football League. For me, this is just the way I look at it. I don't give reverse credit to the USFL because Reggie White became the greatest defensive uh, pass rusher in the history of the National Football League, not the USFL. Uh, okay, let me go about it this way. We've gone down a rabbit hole. What if Trevor Lawrence decided to play for the new USFL? That's essentially what happened back then. You had first-round picks, top-tier players that everybody knew saying, you know what, I'm not going to play for the NFL. I'm going to play for this other league. What? What Do you think that would be a story? Because that was what was going on in the original USFL. Here's how it would be a story. If the USFL lasted for 15 years, if Trevor Lawrence had his career in the USFL. So you're saying it wouldn't be a story if the top pick in the NFL draft says, no, thanks, I'm going to play in this other league. It would only be a story to the point of, uh, not to the level of making it an iconic league. It would be a diversion. It would be a a speed bump. That's what the USFL ended up being, a speed bump for the NFL. I'm not saying it wasn't a speed bump. You're you're moving the goalposts. I'm saying everybody remembers the league. Everybody remembers the teams from a certain generation. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying they competed with the NFL. I'm not saying they were a threat to the NFL. They were a pain in the ass to the NFL. Now, the the new leagues, the XFL, the AAF, everything in between, they weren't even a mosquito bite on the you-know-what of the NFL. This league was taking big-time players away. And if you had had, uh, Trevor Lawrence leaving and Devontae Smith leaving, but imagine locally the Eagles picked Devontae Smith. Everybody's thrilled. Everybody's going nuts like they were. And then Devontae Smith, after he gets picked, says, you know what? I'm going to play for the Tuscaloosa Drillers of the USFL. Jody, it was big. It was. It came and it went. And uh, at a time, yes, it grabbed some headlines. But it is. At least I got you that far. I mean. It has become a footnote in football history is what the USFL was. And you're right. All the other leagues, the AAA, they don't even get that kind of acknowledgement. But the USFL turned into, yeah, a a little bit of a speed bump for the NFL. 
And I don't even think it was a speed bump, but that's not my point. The NFL is not my point at all. That the fact that everybody still remembers the teams, everybody knows the players, you know, forget about the Hall of Famers. I mean, there were Bobby Bear started in the USFL. There were a lot of players that started in the U. Calvin Bryant, Irv Eatman, you know, the stars might be the best because they had so many damn good players uh, on that team that eventually became stars in the end. Sam Mills started in the USFL. I mean, uh, you are you are underplaying the USFL. This is the first time since we started doing the show uh, now more than six weeks ago where I wish we could have a conversation with those who stream our show. We've got some regulars. Well, I like, know. I just said millennials. And Lou D and Jeremiah Butler who stream us all the time. I would love to have the ability to have the, a conversation with them right now and be able to throw a couple of names of players who became stars. I'm not even talking about guys who came and went with the USFL. I'm talking about players who started their career in the USFL, became players. Some of them become Hall of Fame-like players. If I asked them, if I gave them the name and say, what USFL team did that guy play for? You'd be surprised how few people would be able to do that. Jody, how many people, even in this town, even in this town today, do you think, no, Julius Irving started with the Virginia Squires, never mind played for the New Jersey Nets? How many people in this generation, uh, first of all, Virginia, I'm saying less than 5%. That's that's how little. Okay, but I'll, now, I'll, as, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, fifty percent know that he played for the Nets. Uh, no You're way. Right. The Virginia no Squires. Way. No the Virginia way. Squires no kind way. of because that that disappeared. The Virginia Squires disappeared, and they're out of sight, out of mind. You're right. I think very few would remember that. The Nets are still around. The Nets, as a matter of fact, might be the team that the Sixers oh, have played the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think the uh, good, solid NBA fan, not the diehard, not the really maybe in Philadelphia, in this maybe in Philadelphia, maybe in Philadelphia because they're inundated with it. But if you talk about Artis Gilmore, if you talk about George McGinnis. If you talk about Mel Daniels, if you talk about great ABA players, give me a break. Give me a break. This generation doesn't know those people exist, never mind what teams they played on. Yeah, I bet they know a lot more than at the standard. They know more than Jim Kelly and Reggie White? No, no stinking way. No stinking way. Because the NFL is more popular than the NBA for that reason alone. If you ask uh, 19 out of 20 guys, who did – give me the professional teams Jim Kelly played for. They'd say Buffalo Bills. A- and the other one? Oh, I agree. I, I don't know. Yeah, but I here's the know. difference. Jim, Jim Kelly played for another uh, professional football team? Not that I know of. I well, thought well, he retired. Because, because we're in Philadelphia, I'll use George McGinnis, because there was a great player, should be in the Hall of Fame, is not – I don't think he is, but should be in the Hall of Fame. Um. But he played with the Sixers. I don't even think people remember him, to be honest, that he played on the Sixers. Never mind they knew he was an Indiana Pacer. Um, so, And that team still exists. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know. That, that many more people would remember that George McGinnis was a Pacer rather than what the USFL team Jim Kelly played for. There, there, there's, 
there's there's five percent of the people that would know either, to be honest. And I think so. We're we're splitting hairs. Oh, but I, it, I I I tremendously disagree with you. I think because the Sixers acquired George McGinnis from the Pacers, the majority of fans would know what team he was on before he came. All right, to the- then take Philadelphia out of the equation. Artis Gilmore, Artis Gilmore, Artis Gilmore. Yeah, what team did he play on? His his ABA career is probably uh, gone by the wayside. Uh, I think you're right. I think most people would have forgotten that. And well, he was Artis and he Gilmore was in the for a long time. Both. So you're being provincial then. You're just talking about Philadelphia well, because I, I'm sure I was, just, I was just responding to a name you put out there, John. I, yeah, exactly. So you're going you're going that route. Because Artis Gilmore is a bigger name than George McGinnis. Um, and that's, but that's, you know, he didn't play in Philadelphia. He didn't play in Philadelphia. So nobody's gonna think Kentucky Colonels, uh, if they know him, they're gonna say Spurs, they're gonna say Bulls, you know. But there was an ABA most valuable player, there was a you know, all-star player, uh, constantly in both leagues. Nobody knows Artis Gilmore. Never, never mind uh, the Kentucky Colonels or the Chicago Bulls or who he played for. That's my point. Okay, Johnny Mac, Jody Mac. We're going to add a Mac. We're going to get Tim McManus up here next. Eagles uh, reporter for ESPN. He's going to join us here on Birds Three Sixty Five. I get scared sometimes of a lot of things. Joining in decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here with you on Bird 365. We're going to make it a triple Mac attack today. We're lucky enough. Gab is joining us on the show. ESPN's very own Eagle reporter, Tim McManus, who looks lonely. T-Mac, that shot that you have, we, we really like our bricks that we have here on the backdrop here, but it, it looks like you're kind of all by yourself there in the house. What's up, buddy? Well, just finding a quiet corner in the house yeah, is a good right. thing as far as I'm concerned, Jody Mac. <laughs> exactly. Tim's, Tim's got the kids to deal with. So, yeah, you got to find a spot. I'm with you, Tim. It's always difficult to find a spot where it's quiet for five minutes. So exactly. I understand your pain. I do like the bricks that you guys have going on, though, in your yeah. backdrop. It's like a 1980s comedy, uh, hut, yes. Chuckle Hut. Uh, it's it. like I'm doing a set at the Chuckle Hut. Although Jody got me fired up. So I do want to say one thing. If I told you, because Tim's a little bit younger, he's got hair than we are. If I asked you where Anthony Carter, say, started his football career, what would you say? Reggie Anthony White Carter started his career? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. All right. But you know Reggie White, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that guy. <laughs> you would know if I said Memphis Showboats, you would know Reggie starred in the USFL, correct? Mm-hmm. Would, would you have known it was the Memphis Showboats, Tim? Honestly. Memphis Showboats, probably not. USFL, right. yes. Well, I, generational. I, generational. You, generational. Do you remember the Memphis Showboats? Tim's like, what the hell's going on here? Do you remember the New Jersey Generals, Philadelphia Stars, Memphis Showboats, Houston Gamblers? Do you remember the names? Not uh, the I mean, all right, Joe. I'm having a little tough time hearing you, Johnny Mac. But um, yeah, I remember the names. That's that's about it. But I don't. Yeah, that wasn't really my wheelhouse growing up. I got right? you. Well, yeah. we're we're gonna go. The U.S. Tim, the reason Tim's I bring little, that up. Tim's yeah. a little young for the conversation you and I were having. The Jack. reason I bring that up. The USFL is restarting. It's going to be on Fox. But we're going to get you back into your comfort zone. Uh, which is the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, it is post-June 1st, Tim. Uh, We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, and Jack Ertz is still here. Uh, I think we all get to that point. We got to see Dallas Goddard yesterday. Looks in tremendous shape. Looks ready to have a big year. Anyway, any way possible, Zach Ertz returns to the Philadelphia Eagles for the 2021 season. I still don't see it. I I know that everybody was expecting, including myself, for this to be over by now. And there was two really natural windows for the Eagles to move on from Ertz. The writing's been on the wall since really last offseason. Then you had the free agency period and you had the draft period. 
where they could have traded him made a lot of sense because you don't want the other teams who ha- who need tight ends to, to fill up uh, and fill the, the need elsewhere. And so it made a lot of sense for the Eagles to, to pull the trigger then, but, but Howie Roseman just hasn't gotten the type of offer that has motivated him to, to part with Ertz. And so he's playing this out, um, you know, I guess assuming that, that eventually that price is going to go up. But I got to say, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to end up being the case. And even if it does go up incrementally, I still disagree with the tact here. I feel like you have to be business minded, obviously. I mean, you have to make sure that you're doing right by the Eagles. And and Roseman has, has said that line. We have to do what's best for the team. But there's also um, – you know, the, the risk reward in and in getting into a bad spot with basically uh, an eagle icon, somebody that helped you win the Super Bowl, somebody that was kind of a, a model player and locker room guy for you. And now you're just dragging out this divorce for what? Like an extra, you know, a fifth to a fourth round pick. Uh, does that yeah. really make sense? Is that right by the player? And is it honestly, is it right for the organization? Like, you're trying to move forward. You're turning this page. You're moving on to the Nick Sirianni era. Like you don't need to to drag it out uh, with one of your former best players because you decided that you didn't want to pay him. Um, you know what the market rate was at that time. So uh, real right, quick right. as a follow up, sorry that Ertz is going to end up playing here. I mean he's he's not at OTAs. I think that that ship has sailed. Um, Roseman is is waiting for a better offer, um, but I just think he's better off just kind of. You know, listening to what the market has has said, uh, it has already spoken. There's already been teams brought to the table uh, that he's negotiated with. And I think, uh, you know, he's just he's just got to move on at this point. So real quick, as a follow up to that, Tim, if you put on your Howie Roseman cap, what is the strategy? He knows it's been out there. He gave Steve Carrick, you know, the, the opportunity to negotiate with other teams. He's got to have a firm sense of what the that market is by this point, is this is he just playing sort of the Sam Bradford game, hoping for an injury in August? Maybe at the tight end position, and maybe desperation uh, brings up that value a little bit. It sure feels that way. I mean, because there's I don't know what's going to. I mean, you get past the June one marker, and so that's that's not insignificant. The the cap savings for them goes from five million to to eight and a half. Uh, but it's not like they were just sitting there waiting on a deal or else that deal would have been executed by now. Um, you know, so yeah, he's just, he continues to play the waiting game, but then you have to get into like training camp if you're yeah. going to play that out until somebody's going to get hurt theoretically. And so that's why to me, I mean, I think he's just waiting for a better deal to come along, whether the realization comes to him that, all right, maybe I got to get why the getting's good. Maybe that eventually gets to him before training camp, but yeah, I mean, the waiting game has has been Roseman's play, apparently. And you started to go there, Timmy, and I'll take you even further. Uh, and maybe this is just my perception. How Zach Ertz is treated. Yes, he caught the winning touchdown in Super Bowl. <laughs> Eagle fans have him at a certain level of their appreciation. And like, that does all factor in. But even more important to me today, to me, would be this upcoming season. You've got a new head coach, Nick Sirianni, who's trying to establish himself in the locker room, and you're going to foist this on him, a guy who's going to be gone at some point. We all pretty much well know it. You want him to have to 
work that locker room with Zach Ertz being uncomfortable, being there. Uh, they're trying to pass the torch on to Dallas Goddard, who is Ertz's friend, and now they have to lock her next to each other. You're opening up a can of worms on your coach that he just shouldn't have to deal with if you can't get a deal done and get Zach Ertz out of town. You know, I agree with that. And I also think that you have to be really careful when you're establishing a culture or trying to continue a culture, the one the one that you want. And so, um, you know, it's it's tough enough, I think, for a first year head coach. But then there's, you know, the players in the locker room that are seeing what's going on and how guys are handled. Right. So like Malcolm Jenkins and Zach Ertz couldn't have done more uh, in their time here from a culture setting and from a production standpoint. Just couldn't. They, there's there's nothing more they could have done. You know, could have won a championship, the whole thing, and it ended unceremoniously for both of them. Um, and and this process with Ertz, you know, he his last press conference with us, he's bawling because he's so upset that he's leaving. He wanted to be a Philadelphia Eagle for the rest of his career. That was sincere. Um, and the Eagles, you know, I understand the decision. They have Dallas Goddard. They like Dallas Goddard. But if you're going to move on, just move on. Uh, you, you don't have to win every trade. You don't have to win every trade. And I think that might end up being the moral of the story here. And so, all right, we held out and we, we ended up getting a fourth round pick. Okay. <laughs> uh, instead of a fifth. But, yeah. you know, everybody in that locker room saw how that went down and how one of the most revered Eagles in, in the franchise history was treated on his way out the door. That's so good, how am I, as yeah. a mid-level guy or a low-level guy, going to get treated by the organization when my time comes? I mean, so I think that's the stuff that you have to be thinking about a little bit more than they are in this situation where I don't think they're ever going to get this big haul for Ertz. You know, he's making eight, $8 million dollars. He's north of 30 now. Uh, you know, I just don't know what they're doing here, honestly. It's a good point, Tim. It does have an impact on the rest of the locker room, the rest of the team. It, and and by the way, we got to talk to Dallas Goddard yesterday. And, you know, it's sort of this open secret. Like, Zach is on the roster. He's a part of the team. But he's not a part of the team. And everybody knows it, that he's not going to be there. And we're acting like Dallas Goddard is the – the tight end one because he is um, and he is eligible for an extension. Um, and if he bets on himself, we just had Brad Spielberger, who's a money guy from pro football focus on in the hour, hour one, he's going to get a lot of money. Do you think the Eagles number one have the space uh, to get an extension done with Dallas Goddard early? Or do you think he's going to bet on himself? Well, it sure sounds like uh, Goddard wouldn't mind if he got that extension early uh, without having to take the risk of, of the fourth year. I mean, he was pretty candid about that, I think, in his discussions with us and also revealed the fact that there are contract negotiations ongoing right now. So that's another wrinkle to this whole thing. It's like they're clearly they have chosen their course yeah. at tight end and Dallas Goddard is it. They're not going to be paying both of those guys big money. And, yeah, I do think that they can they can find the cash to do it. You know, oftentimes with contract extensions, you actually end up paying less uh, in year one uh, than maybe he's on the books for, or certainly less than you're ultimately going to be paying him on an annual basis. And this is really the year that they have to look out for. I mean, once you get past the 2021 season, you know, the, the cap situation is going to be looking a lot rosier. It's going to get a lot easier. Cap's going to go up. Some of the dead money's going to come off. 
and and Goddard would fit in there just fine. So yeah, I think they they can get something done from a financial standpoint, and it sounds like Goddard wants to. If you have those two things going, that usually means good things in terms of uh, execution of a contract extension. Timmy, wanted to ask you about uh, the running back position. Uh, story broke yesterday, and I did not know this, and I think it was NBC Sports Philly that unearthed it, so give them credit for it, that when the Eagles claimed carry on Johnson, they somehow talked him into taking a pay cut that he was scheduled to make like $1.3 million, and they talked him back down to the veteran minimum, which was nine hundred and change. So they saved like three or $400,000 on Kerry and Johnson just by talking him into being an Eagle. He could have said, well, no, my contract's my contract. And if the Eagles didn't want to pay him that, they would have had to put him through waivers again. And somebody else might have claimed him. And his time here in Philadelphia would just would have been an on-paper stopover. Wonder why did it? Can you just attribute that to he was dying to be a Philadelphia Eagle? Do we read any more into it that it, it increases Kerry on Johnson's status as a potential uh, production guy for the Eagles this year in the running back room? No, it's a good, it's a good question and an interesting uh, footnote that that he did end up taking that pay cut. And I believe there's at least one other team in on Johnson, so it's not like the Eagles yeah. were going to be his only option which tells you that he liked the fit here uh, and liked the possibility of, of, of where he may fit into the equation. Um, and also, I think this is something that's starting to develop that we can see. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan being another example here. When, when he talked about why he came here, like he was really buying into what the coaches were selling and like the energy that was being put forth. Um, you know, that plus the fact that he was going to get playing time influenced him to come to Philadelphia, you know, playing time, uh, you know, is a big factor here, but, but just the notion that there are free agents out there that are peering into what's happening in Philadelphia after a off season of total dysfunction and disarray, <laughs> right. Where, you know, the wheels fell off, the coach leaves, the quarterback leaves. Um, and I think it speaks well to what Nick Sirianni has done so far and kind of the, the vibes that are emitting out of the franchise right now. It seems that players are getting kind of excited about, you know, his thoughts um, and the same for Jonathan Gannon of what they, they're going to do schematically, uh, how they're going to attack the process. Uh, so I think that's a positive sign, um, you know, as it apl- and another piece of evidence in that is, is Johnson and I think Kerrigan. Yeah, Tim, you mentioned that word energy. Uh, that's the one word we keep hearing from the players when they talk about the coaching staff, no matter who it is, from Nick on down. So when you look at this shift from, from the coaching staff, from Doug Peterson and Nick Sirianni, do you kind of see a, a theme in the fact that the Eagles wanted to go, for lack of a better term, the Sean McVay route, they wanted the youth in the building. They wanted the energy in the building. Was that part of the plan, or is that just uh, an ancillary part of bringing Nick Sirianni in? No, I think that's a response to kind of a, a longing of the owner, it feels like to me. Like Jeffrey Laurie over the last couple of years uh, was really frustrated with the state of affairs, particularly offensively. And you could see that last offseason when he was trying to get Harrell in here from USC – he wanted yeah. uh, he wanted fresh ideas. He wanted younger guys who would come in and, and, and infuse the Eagles with with, uh, you know, ideas that would get them to be kind of new wave. You know, Lori's like a big new wave guy. 
uh, and once, you know, certainly is a big offensive guy. And so I don't think it's a coincidence now that the Eagles have the youngest coaching staff in the NFL or that they they chose guys um, who like a Jonathan Gannon, uh, who's kind of like this a fresh up and comer. Uh, Nick Sariani, the same kind of thing where they kind of want to ride the wave up as opposed to, you know, get stagnant as they felt they were under Peterson. So I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Is Jalen Hurts a new wave quarterback? Uh, yes, I would, I would say yes to that. I would, I would say that, um, certainly he fits the bill of what we've seen of, of guys that can attack you in a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I do feel like to compete against defenses, um, right now, it's great. It's obviously, it's a big bonus if, if you can, uh, escape, if you can create, uh, if you can keep them off balance. And I think Hertz does all of those kind of things. That's not to say that the Eagles are totally sold that that he's the guy moving forward, though, Jody Mack. I mean, I, you know, there's definitely uh, split opinions about him coming in uh, when he was drafted internally. And I think that those uh, splits kind of remain, or at least uncertainty remains, about whether he is, in fact, the guy. And, and their actions speak to that. You know, they, they're setting him up this year basically for a trial run, in my, my opinion. Um, you know, they, they're not giving him direct competition. And they have done a pretty good job, it looks like, of giving him some weapons. Devontae Smith not being the least among them, uh, adding to the offensive line. And, you know, give it a run in 2021 and see what you got. Uh, But, you know, if it doesn't work, they definitely have a plan B sitting there. I mean, they have the the three first-round picks that uh, they are going to use one way or another if if Hurts doesn't pan out this year, whether that's by trading up and drafting a quarterback using it on one of the veteran quarterbacks that will probably be out there. And so, uh, yes, yes to that. I think that that Hertz does have some new wave uh, ways about him. And I think that he's shown some strong characteristics and qualities since he's been here. But, uh, you know, this is this is all about Hertz this season. It's really all about is he the guy or not to lead them forward. So, Tim, I'm going to give you a hypothetical as an ode to my partner. Um October, early October, the Kansas City Chiefs come in, I believe. Um, you know, a lot of people think they're the best team in football. Some have even spec Patrick Mahomes is talking about 20 and a hoe. The Eagles get the upset. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But Miles Sanders runs for 150 yards, and Jalen Hurts adds 100 <laughs> on the ground. Does Nick Sirianni hear about it? because he hasn't thrown the football enough from the owner that you spoke about. Well, the history says that, yes, in fact, he would. <laughs> <laughs> that Yes, he, in fact, he would. Uh, you know, that was great insight into the dynamics internally and what Doug Peterson was dealing with on a regular basis and why, um, you know, burnout came uh, and, and hit him seemingly pretty hard in his last year here. There's a lot to navigate in that building. And a huge question is whether the owner and the general manager have learned their lesson from that. I mean, you know, they, there's always a balance, right? And some of that was presence in the, was present in the Super Bowl year. So you can't say it was like all bad. Like they, yeah. they were on a, a right path of like, we have to exert a little bit of our influence here. We believe in this philosophically. Uh, we are going to make it a priority and make sure we have a coach that knows it's a priority and we're going to, we're going to push it. And that worked. 
up until the point where it didn't. And, you know, so where is that line? How do we not cross it? How do we give Nick Sirianni the appropriate amount of space to operate so it so he feels empowered and he feels like it's his show and he feels like I don't have to do something this very specific way or else I'm going to have the owner, you know, breathing down my neck. I mean, those, you know, that's that's a really real thing that that happened, uh, ended up being a detriment to this team. You know, cost them their Super Bowl winning head coach, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but that philosophy is not changing, John. You know, they're they're analytics driven. Analytics says pass the ball. Uh, and, you know, so if, if they're not firing it downfield and throwing it a ton, yes, uh, I would imagine Sirianni will hear about that. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take it another step further down the hypothetical road. They lose week one against Atlanta to start the season 24-23, close game. Julio Jones makes a phenomenal late catch after not being traded. He actually holds on the ball in the end zone late rather than what he did in the opening round playoff game a couple of years ago. So they lose 24-23. The meeting takes place Monday or Tuesday with Nick Sirianni and Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman. So week two, here comes San Francisco. And they throw the ball 52 times because the owner's belief gets well infiltrated into that meeting. And Nick Sirianni overreacts. And, oh, by the way, Jalen Hurts throws four picks because he threw it 52 times. And they get trounced by San Francisco week number two. So now they're 0-2. Does Howie Roseman have the gravitas slash hanging to be able to go into Jeffrey Lurie's office and go, you know, this whole meeting thing with the coach isn't working. It's, you, you, you've got Sirianni running scared. We, we didn't need to throw the ball 52 times last week. He's going to do whatever you say. Let me handle him. Jeff, we got to cancel this weekly meeting between you, me, and the coach. Any chance that happens? No, I don't see that. I see, I see it more like if he goes on a losing streak, it increases the chances that the screws get tightened. Uh, and I think that's something that <laughs> – this organization really needs to guard against because, you know, there's a real possibility that they come out and struggle early for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, the, the schedule is stacked. Like that first half of the schedule is very difficult. So Sirianni could in fact get into a hole early because of that. Not to mention, you know, he's taking on a head coaching job for the first time and he, and they are putting in offense, new offense and a new defense. And that takes time to transition to uh, until people get comfortable in it. And so I think that one of the important things is recognizing that there could be some trouble early, that there can be some growing pains and it could last for a good portion of this season and to kind of control their instinct to jump in and to be and to hit the hammer harder and to, OK, now we got to take control and we got to. We got to make sure he's doing this, that, and the other thing. They got to let him breathe. I think that was the biggest lesson from the Doug Peterson era. Let the man that you have decided to be a head coach breathe and have the proper amount of power so that he feels empowered and so that his coaching staff recognizes him uh, in the way that he's supposed to be recognized. Tim, I do want to talk to you about the reshuffling in the front office, the GM factory. Uh, Adj, Dave Caldwell, promotes Catherine Rage, Ian Cunningham, Brandon Brown, get promotions. Um, is this 
Uh, Jeffrey Lurie's way of, of sort of answering some of the criticism, if you go back to the coaching search and we talk about Ray Rhodes in 1994, whenever it was, uh, uh, being the last African-American uh, to be in a position of power on the coaching staff. Is Jeffrey, does he have rabbit ears about that type of thing when, when it talks about hiring and, and the Philadelphia Eagles? You know, I'm not 100% sure whether that's any part of, of his motivation or not. That's that's hard to speculate on, John. But um, what it does show, and I think what they – I think they're right uh, in the fact that, you know, GM factory may not – you know, after the quarterback factory remark may not uh, be one that sits well with them, but they, they have identified talent. Like, I think Roseman has done – a good job of that. And Barry is a good example of that. You know, Joe Douglas going on to the Jets and what he did when he was here is a good example of that. And, you know, the rave reviews that you hear behind the scenes, uh, somebody like Catherine Raich, you know, someone described to me as a rock star, uh, you know, speaks to that. So it's, it's not, the problem isn't uh, identifying talent. The problem is meshing the talent. The problem is um, not making it siloed or uh, getting it to the point where where that talent is not being heard. Uh, I think that's really been the main thing is keeping it harmonious. Like when they were at their best, it was like this nice mesh of a, a Douglas Roseman marriage where you had the analytics side and you had the football, you know, more pure football side. And you had that kind of coalesce uh, into um, a really kind of sharp personnel building process. Uh, they have people in place. It's just a matter of, of making sure that it's, you know, that everybody's working together and that it doesn't kind of break off, but, but, but talent, they've got it. I'm going to ask a question to me here. Last one for me. And I'll acknowledge ahead of time. It's probably unfair to you. If I, Gave this question to my partner here, Johnny Mack. It'd be unfair to him too. This isn't another USL. Uh, USFL yeah, question, no, not, not USFL. I'm on the spot today. We're sticking to 2021. Uh, you I'm guys old. have to, you guys have to talk to players when you get the chance, and you have to try and read between the lines and do so down the line in a Zoom way, which is completely unfair to you guys. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. I had a call last night on my radio show and the caller was optimistic about the Eagles and talking about Nick Sirianni because he said, and the players that have been asked about him seem to be excited about what they're doing in camp and what their first impressions of the coach are. And I'm seeing that this team has got a chance to be better because of the way the locker room is playing out. Now that's way, 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 way early to be doing it. So I tried to reel the guy back in, but I let him have his minute of excitement. I'm going to ask you to do the same. Be that caller that I had last night, reading between the lines of what the players have had to say about their new head coach. Going over well, believing in it. Is it something you just have to expect because new guy, uh-oh, I better be good to the new coach because he's going to decide my future. What do you think the players think of Nick Sirianni so far? Well, there's always the honeymoon period, to your point, where a new guy comes in, you ask the player about the new guy. It's not like they're going to start trashing them uh, and be like, I don't know, man. He's, you know, mm. uh, so, so there, you're always going to have positive feedback. Um, so what I look for is, you know, 
if it's unsolicited, um, uh, what they're saying, the type of messaging about about what they're saying. And it's very consistent to me. And that is that the energy is high, which, you know, we can see that from just the Zoom calls. We know that this guy's, you know, very high octane. Uh, and also that they are getting excited about his philosophies and, and his ideas and what he's going to, to bring to the table, which I think is going to be kind of, uh, it's going to be matchup based. So, uh, but a West coast style, kind of more pure, boom, boom, get the ball out, uh, get the playmakers in space and let them create. Uh, so I think there's going to be some of that, but they, you know, but they seem at least from what I can tell genuinely uh, amped up about what they've gotten out of Sirianni so far. Now it's they're O and O, so it's easy to be amped up when you haven't even gone through a training camp. You know you've barely even gotten onto the field in, in OTAs. Uh, you've heard a couple things, you've had a couple conversations. The guy's high energy makes you feel good. Okay, so we can't take that to mean that Sirianni's going to be this great success. It really comes down to you know, what happens between the lines. Uh, what are those game plans, and then how do how do those game plans translate to the field? Does, it, does he, in fact, have really good ideas that's going to make them successful? And if that's the case, obviously, they're going to love the guy uh, mixed in with his personality. So that's really what's going to it's going to come down to. But I think that the early early impressions on Sirianni have been positive, even though the media, um, you know, it wasn't as positive from a media standpoint, given the way that he stumbled on the first one. But I think it's been a more positive experience for the players overall. Yeah, I would agree with Tim's take. And last one from me, Tim, because, I, you know, the Ryan Kerrigan signing to me, I thought was a good signing because the price came down. You can't criticize it, even though his age doesn't fit in with the modicum of, you know, the mode of transition year or whatever you want to describe this is. But the Eagles have made calls on Julio Jones. We've been down this rabbit hole before. Is this team again convincing themselves that maybe we're a little bit better than people think, and maybe we should fill in some of these holes? And and will that hurt them if they do think that? Uh, well, it does feel like they are starting to move towards that. Like they they can't really help themselves, um, and I I can see I can understand that. Like you're you're going to compete. The NFC East is is open. Um, you know, you're, you have that drive in you to, to want to, to put out a winning product. So all that kind of stuff makes sense. It's just <laughs> like anything else that like we were talking about. It's like, where's that line? So if you're bringing in a guy like Kerrigan who can help, um, you know, establish or continue the type of culture that you're looking for while keeping you competitive uh, and not taking away from somebody's snaps too much, like, I think that's fine. Um, if you're over committing to a veteran player who could t- drastically take away playing time from some of your up and comers, then that's where I think you go overboard. That's where Julio Jones would be for me, like a 32 year old who's awesome and who would no doubt make that offense better. But you just spent a first round pick on Devonte Smith. And before that, you spent one on Jalen Reger. And you want to figure out what those guys can do. Uh, and you want to give them every opportunity to be out on that field and learn on that field uh, and not commit, you know, $15 million to, to an aging guy who's not going to be part of your future. So that to me would be, uh, you know, the difference there. 
Um, I think that those those small one year moves um, can can work out for you. You just can't get too crazy about it. T Mac, last thing: Sixers take out the Hawks in how many games? I'll go uh, six. Six. Yeah. yeah, they haven't handled the Hawks all that well, and, and I think we it's got be a little bit of a struggle. We got no idea about Embiid's status. But other than that, I like it Sixers in six. Go. Uh, Timmy, good catching up. Now go uh, play with the kids. Get out of that corner of the room and rejoin the fam. Thanks for joining us today. Always my Thanks, pleasure, Tim. guys. Thanks for having me. That is Tim McManus. Does a phenomenal job covering Eagles for uh, ESPN. All right. Uh, we on the Mac and Mac show. That would be Birds 365 coming right back to put a bow on this one. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
wrapping up a Thursday edition here of Birds 365 with your Mac and Mac guys. Uh, we ran a little long with Tim, so we're running out of time. But there is one one more question I want to put to you, JM, before we uh, exit stage left. Uh, I asked the question of Timmy when he specifically described Jeffrey Loria's new wave. And I read in between those lines. Maybe I do too much reading in between the lines, like the definition of the word iconic. But uh, new wave to me meant cutting edge, ahead of the curve, trying to be smarter than everybody else. Yes. So I asked him about uh, Jalen Hurts. Are the Eagles trying to be smarter than everybody else by giving Jalen Hurts this shot to be their quarterback? And at least it's been heavily reported that Jeff Laurie was intricate in uh, drafting him in the second round, that he was very much involved and liked the pick, if not pushed for the pick. Is, is my read on this right? Is this too much... The owner being involved in a major football decision as to who the quarterback's going to be, or am I overly worried? No, I mean, my answer to that would be Tim's right. Jeffrey Lurie always wants to be ahead of the curve. So every decision, um, he's the same way. So, yes, I would say he's trying to be the smartest guy in the room. He's always trying to be the smartest guy in the room. You could argue maybe don't always swing for the fences, you know, shorten up, hit a single to the opposite mm -hmm. field, whatever. Um, you could look at it that way. You can't win every trade, Tim said, you know, when he was talking about Zach Ertz and Howard Roseman. I thought that was a, a very uh, 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 intelligent way to look at it as well. Uh, I don't have a problem with an owner getting involved with a quarterback decision or a coaching decision. I've said that pretty consistently. Every owner in this league gets involved with base of the franchise decisions. And if they don't, by the way, it's probably not a good sign because that means they don't care. And that's even worse than making a bad decision because, you know, if, if you don't care, a lot of things are going to go wrong with a franchise. So there's a lot of good to Jeffrey Lurie's involvement, uh, but there's some bad. And much like Ben Simmons, when people – point out he can do a lot of things really well, but he does a few things really poorly, that that shouldn't be controversial. And I kind of think the same way with Jeffrey Lurie. I think overall he's a really good owner. And, and, and sort of the baseline of that is because he cares. And sometimes he cares too much, and it hurts the team because he's not equipped to make certain decisions and he thinks he is. That's That's the best way I would describe it. Well, that's a good thing that you and I see that exactly the same. After we disagreed about the status of the USFL, I'm glad that you and I see yeah, Jeff Tim, Tim, Tim blew me up, but that's fine. Yeah. I, it is a generational he's, thing. Yeah, he's young. Timmy's yeah. young. Timmy's wet behind the years. Uh, you and I are closer in age than yeah. Timmy and us. Um, so, uh, yeah, that wasn't a fair comparison. But I'm glad we see Jeff Flory the same. Uh, he cares and he works hard and he wants the Eagles to achieve. Yeah. Sometimes he good. gets a little bit. That's a very good thing, by the way, the uh, fact right. that he cares. Much more good than bad. You and I agree there. All right, J-Mac, good show, brother. I say we do this again. Put a uh, bow on the week tomorrow. You up for it? We are going to do it. And hopefully we get along better tomorrow. Now, where are we? we always get along. A, a Friday edition coming up on Birds 365. We'll catch you tomorrow. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.